Welcome to episode 38 of the Leadership in Context podcast with Keith Tusi. Today, Keith continues his discussion on the book of Hebrews. This is Leadership in Context, a conversation on leadership in the context of the local church. For show notes, email podcast at innerpastors.com. And now here's Keith Tusi. We've been talking about the need to understand the book of Hebrews specifically as it relates to the law, because many people are propagating, uh, for lack of a better word, a lawlessness. The theological word is antinomianism, which is to be without the law, to just be led by the Spirit with no confines, to have no definition or no structure. The book of Hebrews does not support that. And the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew believers so they could understand what portion of the law was still germane to them. The book of Hebrews exalts the deity of Jesus Christ and the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And we were just reading through some scriptures up until chapter 4 last time. And I want to kind of pick up that theme, just bouncing through to get some highlights so that we can exalt in the Lord as well. In chapter 5, in verses 5 and 6, it says, So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, just as he also says in another passage, You are a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay, so this this is real important. you got to remember, he's talking to very educated Jewish people who were highly indoctrinated in the Word of God. Historians tell us that for Bar Mitzvah, the toga, the celebrating the Toga Varelis, the ceremony that made like a 12-year-old son a man, that these young men would have memorized the, the book of law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, the book of Psalms and Proverbs. <laughs> Can you imagine? So there are things that are said in passing, even in Jesus' ministry, when he's preaching to a Jewish audience that often go over our head. And the same is true here. So again, he calls Jesus the Son of God. He said that he is also after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, this is important. Remember Psalm 110, the Jewish Great Commission. We find Melchizedek in Psalm 110, where Abraham goes to Melchizedek, and what does Melchizedek, what does he do? He offers his tithe to Melchizedek. So people that try to say, by the way, that tithing was instituted by the law and ended with the law are wrong on both accounts, okay? Number one, tithing existed before the law. Tithing existed in the law, and tithing existed after law because it's a statute and principle that God uses to prosper his people. Jesus, on his death on the cross, did not fulfill the need for man to be sanctified and to grow and mature and to become a believer. What he did fulfill was the need to make sacrifice or to do any kind of works to have confidence in God. So in this passage, he introduces Melchizedek to us. Uh, I don't want to skip over chapter 6, 
Uh, but I do want to get to chapter 7 to pick up Melchizedek again. But in verse 19 in chapter 6, we read this. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. So you see the imagery there that enters within the veil, that Jesus passed through the veil. Where Jesus has entered as a forerunner, a prototype, literally is the Greek, a prototype for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of who? Of Melchizedek, okay? Now we go to chapter 7. Who was Melchizedek? Melchizedek was a Christophanes. That means he was a pre-New Testament manifestation of Jesus Christ. Jesus has always existed. Jesus is God. Jesus created the beginning. There was nothing made that has been made that has been made without him. He is God. But he manifested himself as Melchizedek in the Old Testament. And it says in chapter 7, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he's returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. This is where, where Abraham went and rescued Lot. To whom Abraham also apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all by translation of his name, king of righteousness, then also king of Salem, which equals or means the king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that they understood who Melchizedek was, that Melchizedek appeared on the scene as the prince of peace, as the king of Salem. He had no, no heritage, no lineage, no family lineage, no heritage at all. He had no mother. He had no father. He was born of God. Now, you could hardly be a Levitical priest or a priest of any kind without having, you know, your heritage, your genealogy, I should say, recorded. So he's comparing Melchizedek and Jesus. He's telling them, look, they are the same people. And then he goes on in this chapter and he gets into uh, verse 7, he says, but without any dispute, the lesser is blessed by the greater, meaning that as great as Abraham was, that he was lesser in Melchizedek's presence. So this is real important theology here, because there are people that said, even in Jesus' day, well, you know, you claim Moses, but we claim Abraham. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, Abraham, Moses, and Jesus preached the same thing. Then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, In this case, mortal men receive tithes, but in that case, one receives them as whom it is witness that he lives on. In other words, the tithe that Abraham paid to Melchizedek, he gave to God. Now, notice in this text, he never says, Oh, by the way, stop giving your tithe. As a matter of fact, if anything, he reinforces the tithe. And so to speak through Abraham, even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Okay? 
So here's a golden opportunity for the writer of Hebrews to say, oh, yeah, you know, all that stuff in the law, you know, the moral commandments and the and the, some of the, the social commandments and the commandments on how we get along and and how we relate to God. They don't count anymore. But no, he doesn't do that. Matter of fact, he affirms them. He says, look, these, this thing existed before Moses ever came along. And now, just like Abraham gave them to God, we are giving our tithes unto the Lord. Now, how inconsistent would it be for us to pluck Hebrews 7 out of context and say, oh yeah, the tithe is there, but... All this other stuff in the law is not there. Now, we're not saved by paying our tithes, okay? There's no equation here to sonship in paying your tithe, but there is an equation to maturity as you go and you continue to read on. Look at verse 26 in the same chapter. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Here again, emphasis on the deity of Jesus Christ and the humanity of Jesus Christ, yet without sin, because this was where the attack was at, okay? Who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices for first first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Hallelujah. So the high priest, first of all, had to sanctify himself and offer an offering for himself. Jesus didn't have to do that. So that offering has been fulfilled. Because he fulfilled that offering, now he could fill the offering the ordinances and the accusations that are against us. And then verse 28 again, for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints a son made perfect forever. So zeroing in again on the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ and how he is approachable and that we can approach him using Abraham, by the way, I believe here as an illustration of how he approached Melchizedek and offered his tithe to Melchizedek 420 years, by the way, before the law was ever written. So number one, you have the tithe before the law, you have the tithe during the law, and you have the tithe after the law. In Matthew 23, verse 23, when Jesus was challenging the Pharisees about their righteousness, he said, you tithe on mint, you tithe on dill, you tithe on your herbs, you tithe on everything. He says, and these things you ought to do, but not neglect the weightier matters of the law. So Jesus said not to neglect the weighty matters of the law but to be righteous in the application of it. So today we have things that are in the law that we need to say, how do we apply them in our culture today? When we're, when we're not under a theocratic government, how do we apply those things? There are principles in the law. Like, for instance, 
the principle of retribution, the principle of recompense. When a thief is caught, he should repay. I think that's a good law. I think we should still do that. I think that is still biblical. I don't believe that that passed away when Jesus canceled out the debt of certificate of sin that was against us. That tells us how to live holy. Hey, I'm going to pick this up again our next time together, but it's been great to be with you with Leadership in Context. Today, Keith continued the discussion on the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews had several opportunities to discount the law, to tell the readers that the law no longer applied to them, and it didn't count anymore. But instead, he affirmed the law, showing that Abraham, Moses, and Jesus all preached the same thing. Thanks for listening this week to another episode of Leadership in Context with Keith Tusi. Join us next week as Keith continues to put leadership truths in the context of the local church. As always, subscribe, like, rate, and share our podcast. For show notes or to ask Keith a question, email podcast at innerpastors.com. If you would like more information, check out our website, innerpastors.com. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at innerpastors. See you next week.